Hey guys, welcome back. This is part three of the series, Hardcore for Christ. I'm excited to get into this. Today we're going to be dealing with healing hard, or uh, healing just in general, and healing through Christ. Our opening passage and focal passage is going to be Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Uh, looking at the Western church community around us, I see a lot of different uh, themes and things going on within different churches. Uh, a lot of focus on building a brand and and building up an empire or their own kingdom, which is extremely dangerous. It's not what we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of talk about identity, especially dealing with different uh, denominations, uh, just your identity as a Baptist or a Methodist or a global Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Reformed, Calvinist, Arminist, whatever you have. And honestly, I think it's just overly distracting to the simple gospel and to the simpleness of Jesus Christ and what he did. Sometimes we get so focused on uh, doxology and theologies and all the other ologies that we lose focus on who Jesus is and why he came to this earth and how we are his. So we'll be picking up in verse 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector station. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. While Jesus sat at the supper in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, the church people, when they saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, heard that, he said to them, those who are well do not need to go to a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Folks, this is the word of God for the people of God. So right off the bat, we're looking at what Jesus is saying. The, you got the Pharisees, the churchy people, judging him for the folks that came to him. And this is not to be confused with uh, Jesus hung out with sinners and spent all his time with sinners, which he did spend a lot of time with sinners. But we're also not Jesus. We are very subject to being fallen. He was perfect. But secondly, it's not that Jesus was trying to look like the people around him or act like the people around him. He still did not change his integrity and who he is, even though he wanted to, went into these situations, and they sought him out. It says that many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, he did call Matthew out, which became one of the 12 disciples. And Matthew was a tax collector, which in all intents and purposes, Within the Jewish community, he would have been seen as a traitor to the Jewish people because he's extorting money from the Jewish people and giving it to the Roman Empire. 
So he was probably not a very well-liked person at the time, being a tax collector. On top of that, tax collectors traditionally had a bad rap for just being cheats and scoundrels, and they'd just steal you blind to your money. So Jesus is calling somebody that you would not think is worthy of the calling. He's not necessarily a churchy guy. Think of a a greedy business owner that everybody knows is all about his money. He's all about making that money and taking that money. And however he can get a hold of more money, he's going to do it. So they wouldn't expect him to be called straight into being the deacon of a church. Which I'm not saying that Jesus took Matthew and his dirtiness and instantaneously made him a saint. Although I do believe Jesus has the power and the authority and the capability of doing it. But I also fully believe that Jesus called him. Matthew was looking for something bigger and better than what he had going on. Something true. And Jesus called him and told him to follow him. And Matthew did. And I'm thankful they did. Because now we have the gospel of Matthew that we're reading. And, and we have Matthew as one of the original church leaders and one of the disciples. So Jesus called him, and obviously I fully believe that it took all three and a half years of Jesus' ministry for Matthew to get to where he was a truly capable church leader, what we would consider a sainty kind of person. And I also fully believe it took even more time after Jesus ascended for Matthew to finish stepping into that position. But we're going to get... We're going to go on down because I'm getting down some foxholes on that. My first point for today is the church is a hospital. Jesus was saying that the sick need a physician, that the well don't go to the doctor. It's the sick that need the doctor. So that's the first thing that Jesus is pulling out right here is that the sick, the ones that need the doctor are the ones that come to him. So the church is supposed to be a hospital. It's supposed to be a hospital, folks. It's not supposed to be a social club. This is supposed to be the place where somebody comes and they have a radically changing encounter with Jesus Christ. But in order to get them in there, we have to be, one, living a life that is noticeable, that is counter of the current culture. We have to be living a life that somebody can notice. We have to have our speech that is different. And we have to be authentic in what we're doing, not not overly pious, not judging someone for their natural capabilities. It's like uh, something I heard a while back about a snake. You can trust a snake to act like a snake. Do not be surprised if you pick up a snake and it turns around and bites you. It's a snake. It's going to do that. Same thing with somebody that does not know Jesus. Do not be surprised if they are living in a lifestyle of sin. It is their nature until they come and are regenerated by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So one, this is a hospital. Two, the reason, the other reason why I'm bringing up that this is a hospital, just about everybody I know has had some type of trauma in their life. If you haven't, bless you. And I pray that it never happens to you. But just about everybody I know has had something happen in their life 
This is supposed to be a place where we can come and find healing amongst each other. Ones that have addictions, this is supposed to be the place that they can come and find healing from their addictions and support. Is dang near impossible to overcome an addiction without a true quality support group around you, without a support structure. And the church is supposed to be that for each other. We're supposed to be that for each other, walking with each other, exhorting each other, lifting each other up, helping each other live a godly lifestyle. We are our brother's keepers, and we have to remember that and quit acting so offended when somebody acts like a human. Many times the biggest judges in life are the church people, the most cutthroat people. I was reading something that just earlier today uh, that a, a friend of mine from a different church was posting. It was a testimony given by a, a former alcoholic. And it was saying when they showed up uh, late to church, they were people were staring at them and shooting them dirty looks and acting like they were a burden and a horrible person for sliding into the back pew late for church. And nobody would even talk to them. But the next day when they went to their AA meeting and they were a little bit late, the meeting completely stopped. They welcomed them, got up, hugged them, and were telling them how thankful they were to see them because they recognized and knew that, yes, they were late, but that also meant that they overcame to make it to the meeting. That also meant that they needed to be within the people in the meeting and they almost didn't make it. It meant that they may have almost relapsed back into alcohol, but they chose instead of the alcohol to be in the community of healing that they're supposed to be in. Folks, wake up. That is what the church is supposed to be. That is what the bride of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Jesus himself said that he came to give sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, to give liberation to them imprisoned. And if we're supposed to be following after Jesus and being just like Jesus, that has got to be where our heart is. That we can help find healing for our brothers and sisters. And speaking about healing, my second point today is by his stripes, we have been healed. That's why Jesus came. Because before he came, we were destined and we were trapped in our own filth, our own uh, sin, our own sickness, without any way to get free, without any way to find life. We were dead in our trespasses. 1 Peter 2, 24-25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we, being dead in our sins, should live unto righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. For you are a sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. These are heavy words, but Peter was actually quoting the prophet Isaiah from several hundred years beforehand. 
Isaiah 53, 5 through 7 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Folks, that's why Jesus came. So that we could be with him, so that we could be adopted through him so that we could be covered by his blood. But he also came to be our healing. I've heard some folks within the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements and uh, schools of thought utilize some of these verses uh, dealing with uh, supernatural healing, which I'm not denying in any form or fashion this Holy Spirit's ability for supernatural healing. But I do feel like sometimes some of our charismatic brothers, and I can be counted as one in quite a few ways, but a lot of times I feel like they are misusing some of this passage here. Yes, the Holy Spirit can heal us, but the ultimate healing that we needed was the healing of our hearts and our souls. The healing of being brought back to life from death because we were found dead in our iniquities. So by his stripes, we were healed. That means that the devil does not have authority over us. That means that the traumas that we have felt as a child, the abuses that have happened in our lives, they cannot hold us. Because by the authority of Jesus Christ, we can break that chain. We can break that bondage. By his stripes, we've been healed. Because we are his, the devil has no authority over us. He has no free rent in our head. And we got to quit giving him free rent in our heads. If all we do is focus on the the Tragedies that have happened in our lives over the years. That's all we're going to see is tragedy after tragedy. We won't see the hope. We won't see the joy. We won't see the beautiful things that God has actually done. The beauty that has come from the ashes. What was meant for evil, he meant for good. We're not going to see that if all we do is focus on the tragedies in our lives. The abuses. And please listen to me. Don't hear what I'm saying. Don't listen to what I'm trying to say here. I'm not downplaying any abuse or anything that's happened. I'm not denying that it has happened. And it needs to be taken care of and processed appropriately. But we cannot stop at the effects of our abuse. We have to stand tall and walk in the Lord through it, because by his stripes we've been healed. And folks, that is what the church is supposed to be able to do. The church is supposed to be a hospital, 
not just for dead souls, but also for wounded souls. It's supposed to be a place where we can find healing. Yes, we have to get past the four walls and get out into the community and bring them back in. It's like working for EMS as a paramedic by trade. I go and I find the sick people and I bring them to the hospital. It would do no good if I just stood in the hospital and be like, sick people, come to me, come to me over here, over here at the hospital. No, somebody's got to go out into the hedgeways and find these people, pick them up, load them up, give them some spiritual and psychological first aid, get them back to the hospital where they can meet the surgeon, God. He is the one that does the healing, but we've still got to go out to the hedges and find the sick people. Tell them there is healing over here at the hospital. Come see the great physician. He will heal you. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Yes, he can heal you physically. But today we're talking about spiritual healing, emotional healing, psychological healing. He can heal your heart. And many people have damaged and broken dead hearts that need to be brought to life, made new. And that's what Jesus wants is our hearts. That's my third point today. Jesus wants our hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, Also, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and I will keep, and you'll keep my judgments and do them. That is what Jesus wants is our hearts, so that he can give us his heart. Folks, if you can go out and blatantly sin and live in a sinful lifestyle and not feel a single thing, I'm sorry, but I don't know if you know Jesus because you have a very stony heart. And Jesus is wanting to pull that heart of stone out and put his heart into you, a healthy, fully functional, beating heart. I also recognize that there are some Christian people that have fallen away from the flock. They're kind of doing their own thing because you know the old saying, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, which is true. But you can't be a healthy one without being a part of a church because you're isolated and by yourself. And anybody that is isolated is easy pickings for the predator, for the enemy. And I'll say the farther away from God we get, even though we're followers, the colder our heart gets, the stonier it gets. And if you get too far, you're going to be in some deep trouble. I'm not advocating that you'll lose your salvation because not a single man has the authority of their ability to take away your salvation because once you are regenerated into God and into his family, you're in his family. 
But I will say God will let you find natural consequences to your decisions sometimes. So if you're stepping away from Jesus and being backslidden, you will have to face the consequences of that. Life will be a wreck. And you may not feel the presence of the Lord as strongly as you once did. And if you, that is you today, I invite you right now to stop where you are and run as hard as you can to the Father. And he will renew that heart in you. He will renew that feeling that you once knew, that first love that you had. I know this for a fact because I used to be that person. I got hurt and damaged by church people, and I stepped away from the church. I found myself in a world of trouble and also in a very sinful lifestyle. And the Lord had to come and find me again. And I tell you, when he did find me, when I finally quit fighting, I felt his presence again in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. This has been many years ago now. And it was almost like I had never stepped away after I felt that. We hear Jesus was talking about the prodigal son in this way and how the son took his inheritance and went to a distant land and blew all of his inheritance and was coming back to his father just to beg to be one of his servants. Not even a son, but a servant. Some versions might even use the hard terms of just to be a slave in my father's house. Instead of being given that, his father ran to him with joy and embraced him and put a robe on him and put a finger on him or a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and restored him to where he was as an heir, as a son. Like nothing had even happened. Jesus wants our hearts. So if you've never known Jesus Christ before as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you and I beg you to repent now. That's just a big fancy word. Let me rephrase that. I invite you to stop what you're doing. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I need a Savior. My world, my life is in shambles. I need you to take this heart of stone out and give me your heart and to save me. And if you have known Jesus Christ and you found yourself backslidden and in a dark spot away from where you should be, I invite you to ask Jesus to take you back to where you need to be, to break your heart of stone, and to give life back to your heart.
Because Jesus wants your heart. Verse 13 of Matthew 9, Matthew nine thirteen says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus doesn't want what we can give. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want us to sacrifice and I'm not saying that giving our tithes and our monies and our offerings to him is a bad thing and sacrificing is a bad thing. That's not what he truly desires. What he desires is our heart, teetotal heart, all of us, all that we are. He desires it. Let's go and pray. Father God, I just praise you for your love for us, Father. I thank you that you found us of enough value to come from your position and throne in heaven to be here on earth as a man and to live a perfect life to take the place for us that we could be with you for eternity, Father. I just ask that Anything that is not of you in this message will just be forgotten and that your word and your word alone will be remembered and it would manifest in our hearts, Father. I pray that anybody that does not know you today would know you and give their heart to you. And Father, I also pray that anybody that has ran away from you, that they would come running back. That the devil would not be able to stop them. That they would be able to run back full force and fall into your arms, Father. Just praise you and thank you, Father. In your precious holy name, amen.